The following is a conversation with Stefan Delevaux. Stefan Delevaux is the CEO of the Caribbean Blockchain Alliance. We talk about the current status quo of blockchain technology, cryptocurrencies and digital currencies in the Caribbean. This is the Simon Küpper podcast and this is my conversation with Stefan Delevaux. My name is Stefan Delevaux. I'm the president of the Caribbean Blockchain Alliance and what we are is an organization nonprofit focused on really just blockchain adoption and trying to push blockchain adoption through advocacy. Um, we've been around for a few years, but mostly as a community, uh, bringing people together who are involved in the space or even just, you know, tangentially related to the space, doing something in it. Um, we built up a really healthy community over the years and that, that's been our focus. But now we, we've pushed a lot more into our mandates, which are um, public policy and education. So it, it, it's really interesting to see things come together um, because this is something that I've wanted to see for a long time. And obviously, you know, as someone who knows and understands the Caribbean, you know, things take long to push, but <laughs> it could be an uphill battle sometimes, but it, but it, but it's necessary work. So it, it, it's cool to see things happen, even if it is slowly. <laughs> yeah, small steps, but steady. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, just, just to kind of dive into it. Uh, so with public policy, that's really, you know, regulatory engagement, government engagement, um, just trying to push for better, a, a better kind of embracing of, of the space of the blockchain space by, you know, our governments and our regulators uh, to, to some, to some degree of success. I mean, as you can see, if you look into what each of into what some of the islands are doing um, there's been a lot of, a lot of good progress and a lot of work done by a lot of our members um, over the years, really to, to kind of push this greater understanding. So it's pretty much what we can do as a collective. Uh, but to, to give examples, you have the Bahamas, you have Barbados and you have um, Bermuda, especially. Uh, I mean, especially those three. And then outside of that, there are Cayman and, and a couple others that have really pushed forward in terms of embracing, um, embracing good regulation of the space and, and wanting to actually uh, see more activity in terms of blockchain, you know, whether it's private sector companies coming in or local uh, internal projects, things like that. So, and that's actually interesting enough, it's kind of two pronged, the public policies side, because we want to see more of that, obviously. Uh, and we're trying to push that as much as possible, but we also want to make sure that, you know, the other countries, the other islands aren't left behind. So having a few that are a few countries that are really on top of things in the Caribbean is great, but we would also definitely want to see a kind of uh, collective push. Um, we want to make sure that all, basically, the entire region is, is embracing this technology and, and trying to move forward to make sure you know things like ease of doing business, for example, is, is embraced and you know healthy regulation. Um, so one of the things I personally would like to see um this is kind of a, a dream of mine i guess is to basically have a kind of regional regulatory framework meaning that 
you know, all of the all of our countries have some sort of not necessarily standardization, but some kind of skeleton of of a regulatory framework that they all can kind of use. And you know, different countries have different needs, so they can kind of not switch it out, but kind of tweak it as necessary. But if everyone has at least a framework, then you know it means everyone's pushing for good regulation at the same time. It's not uh, no one's being left out because I. I do believe that the entire Caribbean has to basically work together on this to to make sure that we blockchain has so much opportunity for us in the Caribbean, um, so many different opportunities, so many ways to use it, and I think it's necessary for us to really go beyond the kind of stagnancy that we've been stuck in for so long. And I think that's only really possible um, if we do it together as a unit, as a block. Um, of Caribbean countries working together. Yeah, I think it's important that everybody is playing by the same rules, basically has the same rule set. Um, where do you see the the yeah the best use cases? Let's, let's put it that way of of blockchain because there are so much different applications for a blockchain where you can use it and uh, sometimes overwhelming. I think the most yeah famous one are of course cryptocurrencies maybe nfts things of that nature um, but there's for sure more um, but where do you see or where should be the focus um, of the implementation of blockchain technology in in the caribbean what is the most promising field there's so many and i don't even know where to start but <laughs> in terms of the most important i let's see i would say there's two things uh one um i don't want to underplay the the cryptocurrency side or even just the digital currency side because for you know a region that's full of very small islands uh where we're all disconnected because you know it, it, trying to do any kind of trade trying to do any kind of money transfer in the caribbean is is, is difficult um and of course even just physical uh shipping for example is difficult because you know everyone has to either put something on a boat or on a plane even if they're not that far away just because of the the island barrier so i would say the top two things are pretty much just transactions and trade um and also the supply chain aspect specifically for maybe agriculture where you're using blockchain as uh, uh well mainly for the supply chain or for attestation or to make sure that things are exactly what they say they are you can track where they came from um you can track where your food originated to make sure you know you're looking for a certain quality or make sure nothing was tampered with but even just on the digital currency side i mean just i'll, I'll give the example of the bahamas we are even in the bahamas we're made up of a bunch of different islands um and we largely and this is the whole caribbean too we largely have this problem called de-risking which i which i know you're familiar with where a lot of our we're losing a lot of relationships with our correspondent banks and a lot of banks because a lot of banks in the caribbean are foreign are just pulling out and and it's leaving people especially in the smaller islands and the smaller communities without really any resource for banking or transactions because if you if you don't have a, a bank anywhere in sight that means you're pretty much stuck with physical cash at all times yeah. and of course if you're trying to transfer or send a transaction from 
one island to another, that's extremely difficult to do with cash. Yeah. So blockchain, and, that, and that's why also you've seen um, so much push for central bank digital currencies, because the need is just there to make sure that people have some kind of option um, to send money, to send, to send transactions, and to make sure that those transactions are verifiable. So that, I would say, is definitely those two. Um, and even just a focus on those two for all our countries would put us in a in, in an amazing place because, like, say for example, you know, I'm in the Bahamas and I'm trying to send money to Jamaica. I have I have two options. I can either send a bank wire, which goes to New York, mm-hmm. and then down to Jamaica, even though we're much closer. Um, which which, as you can imagine, adds it adds time that might take weeks. It adds cost because bank wires aren't particularly cheap and it's just not an efficient way to do business at all. Uh, and then the other option is something like a Western union, which it does, you know, is a bit more catered to um, those kind of transactions, but they're expensive. They take a pretty high percentage of, of your money. And for people who are um, working class, that that's not sustainable. So something like pretty much any kind of blockchain based crypto or digital currency um, infrastructure is automatically leagues better than what already exists in the traditional sphere. I definitely agree with that or the fact that um, you pretty much cut out of global trade if you have these um, limitations. Maybe we can talk a little bit about um, the, or dive a little deeper into the payment um, area because um, what we or what you describe right now is basically a situation that we have with fiat currencies. Um, yeah, only can pay in, in one country um, with one currency and so forth. That's the problem with transaction on a global scale. Um, right. Then on the other hand, we have uh, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin is probably the famous one um, where we basically have a decentralized uh, finance system on the blockchain um, where we also have problems with costs, with energy, energy consumption, etc. Um, but the main practical problem here is probably right now the volatility of the of the price itself and the switching back into a fiat currency when you then basically want to buy something in your country or in your yeah, want to pay a bill that you get for whatever it is for your daily need. And what I don't really understand is then um, digital currencies by central banks because that in my eyes kind of neglects the argument for a decentralized currency so you so where you don't have that one entity that controls everything um, and so forth so is that the same technology behind it is it just a different term or is there a fundamentally different principle and where would be the the practical use case maybe we can talk about this a little bit Right. So let's just go into the comparison. Obviously, if you have something like Bitcoin or Ethereum, which is an open public blockchain, an open public network, literally anyone in the world could use it. Um, and to be honest, those mostly solve the problems. So if, you know, if I'm here and I want to send Bitcoin to someone, whether they're in Jamaica or Barbados, that's pretty easy. Or if I want to send it to someone in Germany or to send someone right. in Iran, like it's, it's, it's literally the same thing no matter what you're just sending a transaction um and that's incredibly simple the the issue especially for here i mean there are a number of things one there's just the general 
issue of there's a huge lack of on-ramps, on-ramps and off-ramps for crypto in the Caribbean. Um, there are very few. The, the issue comes up with either, you know, people aren't able to access these international exchanges um, or their banks may block them from, from accessing these exchanges or even just, um, you know, a lack of uh, good regulation to ensure that there's some kind of local exchange or ease of doing business. And that's obviously, again, where trying to push for good re- regulation comes from. Yeah. Um, and these are, these are uphill battles because you can't, because obviously we also focus on education and we're trying to, um, you know, bring in universities, bring in students, and it's hard to get people really involved if they don't have an access point. So we, we're still dealing with the issue of access points. And I think that's, at least for, for crypto, that that's one of the biggest barriers. And as soon as we can solve that barrier, things will be much, much better. Um, but even, you know, outside of that, because of these issues, and, and just because of the fact that, like you said, crypto, every cryptocurrency is, is volatile at the end of the day. So that will always be somewhat of an issue, especially if you have like merchants accepting it. They don't know if the price is going to be higher or lower the next day. Um, so, so there is, that is some, some um, barrier to just, to just adoption in general. Now there, are, now you have, for example, just to throw an example, uh, uh, something that I saw recently in El Salvador, where you saw they're now accepting Bitcoin as, as, um, uh, you know, an actual currency, they, um, as legal tender, sorry, they're, they're trying something where, you know, if, if someone, ex- if a merchant accepts Bitcoin, they can, they can have it as a peg so that, you know, the volatility doesn't matter. Um, so that, that's interesting, but <clears throat> this is why also there's such a push for these central bank digital currencies, which are at the end of the day, really just digital versions of the dollar, but you know, in a way that hasn't really existed in the Caribbean. Um, Cause obviously you have credit cards, you have credit uh, loans, things like that, but they're always heavily tied to the banks and they're expensive. The interest fees are high, the interest rates are high. Um, so yeah, the, the idea comes from, and the Bahamas was actually the first to have a uh, you know, fully official central bank digital currency. And then pretty much right after that, uh, and sorry, that's called the sand dollar. And then right after that, the Eastern Caribbean Union, which is a basically a currency union of a few different Caribbean countries, they rolled out um, Dcash, which is also a central bank digital currency. But even before that, in, in Barbados, there was a huge push for um, a, a, a digital blockchain-based version of the dollar. And that's kind of where, and that was actually very, very early on at the beginning of, uh, before people were really talking about CBDCs. Um, but yeah, just, just to break it down, the idea behind that is central bank obviously is where, you know, any country's money comes from. So the idea is to just, if you have the backing of those physical dollars, you can create a digital version of it, which the central bank still runs and, and controls just to make sure that people are able to do these kind of digital transactions, digital payments, e-commerce, what have you. And of course, in a way where it's blockchain backed, which means, um, you know, the transactions are verifiable. 
and it has it has uh, still has that security and authenticity at the end of the day, which comes inherently with blockchains. Um, but it also makes sure that again, you don't have to deal with say volatility because it will always be one to one with the dollar. Um, there is <laughs> because at the end of the day, some people just don't trust crypto or Bitcoin or, or whatever, and probably won't for a long time. That's just the reality of it. This this gives them that kind of quote unquote trust uh, for their you know their local institution. Um, but but at the end of the day, say especially with the example of like the Bahamas, where it's a bunch of different countries. I mean, sorry, a bunch of different islands. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes sure that you know someone on a smaller island has that automatic connection, can automatically transfer their funds. They don't have to worry about carrying cash and going on a boat just to make a transaction to another country. I mean, sorry, another island, which is crazy if you think about it. Uh, it, it really just puts us. Well, not even just puts us on um the same page as you know some of the first world countries like in the US you have like Venmo um i think in the europe there's like Klarna and things like that but these kind of access to 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 fintech access to payments whatnot this actually takes it a step further because it there's just there's not that connection to these random companies it's kind of you know automatically confirmed by the central bank and just makes it a lot easier so that was a lot. I hope that explained it, though. I try to try to get my head around it, try to recap it, <laughs> and to make sure I got everything right. So let let's make a build a scenario here. Let's say we have the Bahamas and we have Jamaica, and right now it's pretty difficult to yeah trade with each other to buy something to transfer money what what have you. And now the Bahamas is creating their central digital currency, and Jamaica. Um, is doing the same, which would then make it easy for everybody involved to verify, okay, that money is, yeah, or every transaction would be verifiable, but it would still have the, the bottleneck or the requirement that now when I come with my Jamaican digital dollar to the Bahamas, that I am now able to pay with that digital dollar somewhere that it's accepted, that it's transferred or yeah into uh, bahaman dollars or how would that work or is that the, the underlying premise or idea behind it yeah no that's a great question actually and to make things even more complicated <laughs> uh, <laughs> jamaica jamaica as you as you just said announced their uh central bank digital currency but right. that is so so uh, sand dollar in the Bahamas and Decash in the um, in the Eastern Caribbean Union. Those are those are based on blockchain. Those are blockchain backed. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, it provides that security, that authenticity, that that verification. Jamaica's is not blockchain backed at all. Uh, also, <laughs> meaning that you know there there's just no blockchain at any point. Uh, so that's pretty much. So, so in the same way that um, a central bank digital currency is, it's not completely decentralized, obviously, because you know it's still uh, run by the central bank. It, but it is more, slightly more decentralized than say you know uh, the current, the current situation where you have um, banks are in full control of your money, for example. Uh, but if you have a central bank digital currency and you take out the blockchain component, that means it's 
not that much better. It, it's kind of the same thing. Because it's the same thing, course, right? It's the same thing because you lose that security. You lose that. I mean, it, there, there's still obviously the, the convenience of having that digital currency. But you lose that heavy security. You lose, and it becomes a central point of failure. So I'm, as you can imagine, uh, our community has not been very happy about this development. Um, and and also there's a there's a massive risk because again, you, the, that security aspect is is paramount to, to if you're having something that's connected to your central bank because that's your literally your your right. entire um, money supply. Uh, and also, of course, that you take away the the transparency and the verification aspects as well, which again opens up the door for who knows what. Because again, the point of blockchain is anti-corruption. So there's a lot of issues with that. And then just just as, as you were asking, how does that relate to you know any kind of transferring or transactions um, inter interregionally? Not sure. I'm not sure exactly how what that looks like um but but even outside of that that's still a big problem and i think what is necessary and and a few folks like for example um the so in, like i said in barbados even though they don't have a central bank digital currency there there is a company there called bit um which is actually the the region's first blockchain slash crypto um focused company mm -hmm. they they were actually again one of the people that were pushing this digital dollar very early on uh, or the concept of a digital dollar. Um, and they're also, I, I know the, the people there are also very focused and, and passionate around this idea of a uh, kind of a regional settlement network, right? Where you have, you know, all of our various central bank digital currencies, which don't, which can't interact with each other because they're all local. But if you have a, a kind of settlement network, then you mm -hmm. can create a mechanism where they do interact with each other. And then that kind of, massively uh simplifies this kind of regional trade making making sure that uh payments between different countries are easy um and of course again verifiable and trackable and, and transparent um and of course you can tweak that as necessary but just just making that kind of interregional trade possible because it's still so difficult and so and so um so many issues around it so that that's something that hopefully will will uh be coming to light hopefully in the next few years because i think that would be such a boom and such a boon for for us as a region yeah and i think that is one or adds up adds to the reasons why i think um in general we need regulation or public policy in some way or form that sets these standards because maybe i'm too stupid but even today, um, like, I don't know, 90% or 80% um, of most in most countries of the money is digital already, meaning on some bank account and not in, in cash in a physical banknote or things of that nature. So what exactly. is the actual difference then from that not backed uh, or not blockchain backed um, central digital currency from what we already have right now? besides i don't know marketing or <laughs> does it sound good or what is the actual advantage of the, or again maybe maybe i'm too stupid or i don't see the uh, you know what i mean yeah no i mean uh, it's unfortunate because obviously the idea of having that kind of technology uh, even just the most simple version is 
should be a good thing. Uh, but you need that 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 full you need that blockchain component for it to really make sense. Um, exactly. Otherwise, otherwise, sure, you can have something where it's just a uh, like a Venmo kind of thing. But then that's not what you want, especially in a in a small country. You want something where you actually feel safe and comfortable at all times that nothing's going to happen to it. And it just, yeah, there, there's issues there. We're, we're actually hopeful that um, eventually they'll kind of switch gears and even maybe start over, maybe add a component. I don't know how that would work. And obviously I can't properly speak to that, but yeah, there, my, my, hope is that they eventually realize the value in including blockchain in there and um make the right choice yeah because i think one of the main goals should be to you mentioned uh, corruption and transparency and verifiable and things of that nature um because i mean there's a reason why a lot of caribbean banks are Let's call them gray listed or however you want to call it, meaning they just have trouble to be part of the global banking and financial system or banks are pulling out because of that, because of yeah, intransparencies, because of yeah, not existing or too low KYC enforcement, um, things of that nature. So yeah. and that a lot of time, sorry, I was just going to say, and a lot of time the, the, the institutions that put out these lists to it arbitrarily um, and that as you can imagine puts us at a massive disadvantage because and i will Absolutely. say very frankly that um it, it just becomes very difficult because a lot of times you know these countries try to comply with with um you know what's being asked and then the goalposts change and suddenly everything that they were doing right is now suddenly wrong uh and it, it becomes this kind of cat and mouse where you're just continually changing what you're doing uh just to appease um these kind of international institutions that may or may not necessarily have your best interests uh in mind so then just the idea of again like this the, these block blockchain backed currencies these settlement networks at the very least can make sure that you know if if, if one country is arbitrarily gray listed they're not completely cut off from the rest of the world really if you think about it because right. if you're on a blacklist that means no one really wants to do anything no one really wants to buy your bonds anything like that so yeah. it, it gives it gives some kind of respite it gives some kind of uh still access so that the people don't suffer because at the end of the day any kind of sanction whatever in whatever way hurts the people first yeah yeah i think the I think only 50%, depending on what statistic you're looking at, of the population in the Caribbean or Latin America actually has a bank account. So you yeah, effectively cut out half of the population from doing business, buying goods, right. trading goods and, and services. Yeah, we um, massive unbanked and underbanked populations. And again, imagine if, if some of them are, it, it's at least somewhat manageable if you're in kind of a city, uh, quote unquote, where there's you know some kind of access but if you're on a smaller island where there isn't anything you're you have no options so let's dream a little bit let's let's <laughs> fast forward five years or whatever kind of time frame we we want to look at um what would be the ideal situation would it be okay we have a Caribbean or global standard regulation, however you want to call it in, in the blockchain or, or 
cryptocurrency space um, and then a handful of uh, yeah, cryptocurrencies that are traded globally? Do we have um, every central bank has their own uh, cryptocurrency? I know that uh, in, in Europe, they know at least uh, yeah, trying uh, starting the research for how a blockchain-backed euro could um, look like, things of that nature. Um, so where do you see or where do you want to see the, the future? What would be the ideal scenario? Um, maybe globally but more focused on the on the caribbean to 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 solve some of the problems we talked about to bank the unbanked to give access to financial markets to the global trade um yeah to the global economy basically yeah no that's a great question uh <laughs> and i mean just just in terms of what i said before with regards to say this caribbean settlement network um which which is obviously possible and and i don't think wouldn't necessarily take you know multiple decades to make happen uh but even that would just go such a long way um once you can properly activate interregional trade you're opening so many doors uh for so many people so many businesses etc um and that that kind of drives everything else too because if you have that there'll be more of a push for, you know, ease of doing business, make sure, making sure people could have a lot more freedom in terms of, you know, um, just doing business. Uh, and then you kind of add that to the supply chain aspect I was talking about right. earlier, where you, <laughs> that just makes, you know, physical trade uh, a lot easier, um, a lot more trusted. And you kind of, one of the biggest things one of the biggest issues we obviously realized from this pandemic is that we have no real uh, say in terms of supply chain. And, and if something is cut off, we, we're left out in the cold. So this idea of, to some degree, owning our own supply chain, making sure we just have more of uh, a say in how things get transferred or, 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 or tracked or shipped, et cetera, that, that would be massive. Um, for our region and then just in terms of, of food security which obviously is the other huge issue uh that that we've seen the from the pandemic that those two kind of go hand in hand and i think food security for our, for our countries which blockchain obviously can help with a lot um would would just go a long way in terms of our own sustainability um and being able and and autonomy really because uh you know he who controls your food supply controls you at the end of the day so can, um, can you explain that a little bit how would that look practically because i think it's probably hard for a lot of people to wrap their head around okay how can a digital blockchain thing has something to do with um, supply chain uh, right. management or how can i own my supply chain in that case yeah no it, it, it's it's a good question because at the end of the day a, a blockchain is really just an accounting system um it's a verified and transparent accounting system and it's more of a, and obviously it's not like just blockchain there are, there are actual physical components as well that that have to go in the supply chain obviously but just being able to how do i put this the right way um really have an understanding of where you know where such and such food is coming from uh making sure it came from a, a maybe you prefer or your country prefers a specific company or a specific farm for example you you would be able to know automatically that 
oh, this <laughs> these seeds didn't come from Monsanto, for example, okay. uh, <laughs> or just or just maybe you know your country has a relationship with say. I'll just throw something out there. The Philippines, um, you can make sure that, okay, if, if you, if you um, are connected to this one group of farmers in the Philippines, you can verify that, th that the food definitely came from them and nothing was tampered with along the way. Uh, because, uh, how do I put this? A lot, of, a lot of what we get is obviously imported and mm -hmm. I would say for all our countries, the majority of our food is imported is imported. So any kind of <laughs> any kind of um, tampering or or reduction in quality, for example, will automatically affect us. Um, and then you kind of mix this idea of the supply chain with again the the, the regional trade thing because those two do go hand in hand. It also allows us to again the the idea of controlling your own supply chain. It, it allows us to have a better have better trade with each other have a better relationship with each other make uh also like it kind of drives this idea of agriculture again for food security where you know farm a farmer in jamaica may be like okay my my real customer base is just local because it's just very it's too difficult to to make exports happen that automatically opens up these doors as well to to make sure you know more people can do exports, um, and the people who are the countries that are imp uh, that are still importing food um, are importing from someone they may you know have a better relationship, have more trust with, um, and obviously people want to buy Caribbean at the end of the day, and it just makes for a healthier outlook. And and, and I mean I don't want to say that blockchain just cures all these things because obviously there's a lot of moving parts, but it does kind of push that um push the flywheel basically where it just kind of activates all these other aspects that that could come together a lot better yeah economics is complicated that's that's <laughs> true but i Extremely. guess in, in that case it's adds also a lot of kind of quality control uh, or not control but quality guarantee um to the whole right. process or to the whole system okay got it um I think that was a lot so far, <laughs> probably, um, yeah, a lot of questions that we will see uh, unfold or develop over the next years. Um, sure. Is there in any other topic or any other area um, that you want to touch on, that you want to talk about that we may be, yeah, that might be important to the whole overarching picture? Sure. I mean, I guess just to expand more on your question of what things could look like, um, you know, what I said is the the biggest things that the trade and the supply chain and things like that but even just in terms of economic opportunity economic empowerment um so like i said we're focused a lot on education we're trying to connect to universities and, and student groups and uh, student communities and things like that um and the goal there is to basically introduce some the blockchain introduce some the to this this technology that could have so much impact um and at the end of the day if we could get people in general but more specifically students to to you know understand what's going on with this tech maybe even have more developers um or people who are you know doing finance in terms of DeFi, decentralized finance um people who are to use the phrase crypto native where 
you know, that they're automatically, their first instinct is to use crypto because it just makes more sense. Because the things you can do with, you know, with this technology is automatically at a higher level than what people can do normally in the region. Um, like, like I said, like all these payment issues, all, all these kind of lack of access to banking, lack of access to finance, um, even just in traditional terms, most people have no access or no option to, let's say, invest in U.S. stock, for example. Um, if you can't even do simple things like that, you're, you're basically going to always be stagnant. So if you are automatically tapped into and understand this kind of global network, this kind of these global systems, these global decentralized apps that are being built every day, that means you, you, you automatically have access. And if you're a developer, I mean, uh, solidity, solidity is the language that Ethereum uses. Uh, solidity developers are, in my prediction, going to be the highest desired, um, highest demanded uh, job or career in general uh, in the next 10 years for sure. Actually, the next five years. So opening up students to, to that kind of opportunity would, would just be a massive, uh, healthy thing for the Caribbean. And then at the end of the day, um, they can kind of, they'll be the ones who are building our decentralized future. They'll be the ones who are building pro uh, projects and products for in and for the Caribbean because nobody understands your culture. Nobody understands your, what your, your needs as much as people who live there. Right. So that, that kind of, that will kind of open up so many doors to the, the products that we'll be using in the next 20 years. So I think that, 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 <laughs> that will be where the focus is uh, because this is, this is necessary. We can't rely on, you know, people who are currently figuring things out to push this kind of future. We need to make sure that the people who are going to be next um, in the workplace, in the schools, et cetera, have this access, have this knowledge, because they're, 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 they're literally our future. So what I'm hearing is we need two things. We need, we need people that are able to code. And what was the language again for Ethereum? Uh, solidity. Solidity. Okay. I have to admit, I never heard of that before. So learn something <laughs> today. And, and it, obviously it doesn't have to be that specifically. There are a lot of open uh, public blockchains. So just, just being able to do blockchain coding at the end of the day, whatever that looks like. Yeah. I think uh, yeah, coding in general is probably a good investment <laughs> for, Absolutely. for the next Absolutely. years. <laughs> okay. So where can, can people find you or where can people get in contact with you or yeah, find Caribbean Blockchain Alliance, if they say I want to learn more or where can you help? What would be the first starting point? For sure. So uh, our website um, is CBA, CBA as in, you know, initials for uh, acronym for Caribbean Blockchain Alliance. So it's cbahub.org. So cbahub.org. Um, we're also on social media, one Facebook, uh, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So, and then I'm also myself. Um, on these, on, on those same, uh, social networks. So you can definitely find them, find me. Thank you for listening to this conversation with Stefan Delevo. I appreciate it and hope to see you next time.